Hello, and welcome to the Happy Author Podcast with me, Dorothy Coombson. I'm a multi-award winning, best-selling author, and I'm here to help demystify the publishing world for anyone who writes books, wants to write books, or just has a love and passion for books. On today's podcast, I speak to Amy Fallone, co-founder of Knights of Media Group and Roundtable Books, an independent, inclusive publisher and bookshop who are helping to transform the publishing world. Amy set up Nights Of with David Stevens in 2017, and their bookshop came a year later. She talks to me about why she set up Nights Of and Roundtable Books, why the publishing world still has far to go in terms of being inclusive, and how you go about being as amazing as she is. She didn't say that I did. I hope you enjoy our chat. Thanks for having me, Dorothy. I feel very honoured and privileged to be here with you. Oh no, thank you for agreeing to come on. I'm always, I always love to, I love to speak to people, but I like to speak to people who are really interesting, and you are very interesting oh, and very interesting you. person. Thank you, thank you. So, can you tell me what your job title is? What you call yourself? It really depends on who I talk to. I think I normally go by co-founder, so co-founder of you know the publishing house. But for some people, I find a lot of people who don't know what publishing is, I just be like, oh, I just own a business that makes books. So I think it just really depends. Why did you decide to work in publishing? Because I know this mm. isn't the first thing. You, you haven't just sort of like left college and decided to go mm. straight into owning your own business. You've been mm. around the block, should we say? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You are experienced in yeah. the publishing world. So why did you decide to get into publishing? Do you know what? I I think my journey to publishing was a little untraditional, as it were. So I did a year abroad during my degree um, when I was in Florida studying. And over there, obviously, like the career is the main thing. Like, what are you doing after you graduate? It was like a question I had from like day one of my third year, whereas I felt like back at home, nobody was really concerned with what are you doing after uni. And I honestly, I didn't know what I wanted to get into. I did an English lit degree, always loved books, always loved reading, but didn't have like a, I want to be a teacher, I want to be a journalist, like didn't have anything set. Just knew I wanted to explore a degree, which was a love of mine. And it was actually a lecturer out in UCF uh, in Florida, where I was, who kind of exposed me to the world of publishing and was like, well, kind of talked about what I enjoy about the course and, um, what kind of like my hopes would be for a career driven by passion and was like oh well maybe you could find a home in publishing so I came back did my final year and kind of spent that final year just researching uh, all the publishing houses all the different kinds of jobs within publishing and then thinking okay well where could I fit and that's kind of how I came to publishing I will say that it was never 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 presented to me at a careers day you know there was never anybody that came in to my university and said okay this is what we do this is who we are I think I pretty much got up to the age of would have been 21 20 maybe without even knowing how books get to bookshops or what that process is as well that's the thing I think a lot of people don't actually know what the process is they just think they appear I think an author sits down and writes it and then it appears in the next thing you know it's there yeah it's it's never (laughs) they don't actually think about the mechanics of what is Mm -mm. actually involved um so after you finished college um what did you do next I did a year of interning at four different publishing houses and literary agencies the majority of which was unpaid 
um and I had a first day job at the same time uh and yeah spent you know the first six months after I graduated working for free at a lot of places I won't name and shame them although it would probably be easy to find out who they are oh it's very um, easy to find out who it's very easy yeah but a lot of time people didn't pay I mean it's changing now quite drastically it is changing and I think from now to what nearly six years ago it's very different but when I was kind of you know looking for internships the good majority of them were just unpaid if you got travel expenses you were fortunate but um yeah so I did that I did literary agency two literary agencies and two big publish one one small independent publishing house and one big publishing house and did you know a little bit of everything within those internships as well I was kind of really keen to make sure I saw every department so I even I even spent some time in accounts which uh was interesting <laughs> I suppose that kind of helps you now because you understand how the accounting for book because book publishing accounts because everything works in six monthly things behind and, and ahead it's actually very strange isn't it yeah yeah it's uh not the best way if you're looking for some profit but you know <laughs> <laughs> um make it work so what was your first job in publishing, uh, I was an intern at One World Publications. That was my first ever internship. And then my first ever job was at Scholastic as an editorial assistant. And you worked your way up from there to... Yeah, so at Scholastic, I became assistant editor and I was there for nearly three years. And then I actually left after after working at Scholastic and founded Nights Of after, after that, yeah. Yeah, so why did you decide to found Nights Of? frustration I think you know on a on a deeper level I think you know without getting too I don't know um metaphorical I guess I was really tired of the landscape of publishing at that time I was tired of being the only one bringing up certain things in the room I was tired of being seen as the one to go and check things with and I think you know I was one of maybe three or four black people in the London office of a major commercial publishing house and was the only person editorial I think I was the first black person in the editorial department ever um and just grew really really exhausted I think of the hoops you have to jump through to get ideas across and then even when you are presenting ideas and being told yep yep you'll have the support when it comes down to it the support is missing and nobody knows what you're talking about and just grew tired of the lack of voices that were um being published and represented and got to the, probably the end of my tether had a very so david worked at scholastic as well who's the co-founder of nights of and um I remember a very distinct conversation when we was in the hallway and he said to me, oh, how are you doing, Amy? And I was like, do you want the real answer or the answer that I give everybody? And he kind of looked at me and was like, hmm. and that I promise you was the start of, of everything. You know, it was just a very honest and frank conversation. And it was, can we do anything in house here? Did, nothing happened, nothing, you know, came to fruition. And then um, we kind of hatched a plan as it were and the rest is history as they say. So what was it like starting off, going off on your own to, it sounds really scary, but exciting. Yeah, and I think I had got to a place of such frustration that anything, well, not anything, but I was just glad to not be 
within the walls of the company that I was at and so I get a lot of people saying oh that must have been really scary but I think I was just more excited by the prospect of building something from the ground up that could actually do the work that a lot of people were saying they were trying to do but it's just you know having that clean slate as well where it's like okay I haven't got to deal with the history of like a backlist that is maybe racist or prejudiced or whatever I can just have a really clear slate and clear start and build a company and build a workforce that I'd be proud of yeah so um why did you call it Night Soul? that comes from the Arthurian legend of everyone around the table has an equal voice and I think we try to be as flat as possible as a company as well so you know David and I don't see well we don't see ourselves as like bosses or managers or anything we you know we had our creative director pitch and then go on to publish like a title that she you know thought would be a great idea for a person to approach um and we think you know we try and make sure that everyone in the company feels as though their voice is heard and if they have ideas or if we're not doing something that we should be doing we want to be as open as possible for that for that process of communication yeah so and when did you decide to open Roundtable Books? Oh, the bookshop, that was a pleasant accident, shall we say. The bookshop was, it came about after the first CLP report, um, which showed that only 1% of children's books published in 2017 or maybe 2018, I have to check, um, featured a Black, Asian, minority ethnic protagonist. And the publication of the report coincided with our first birthday. And so, because, you know, we often have, uh, in the company oh why don't we just do this kind of ideas you know and nothing is really off the table and so we said well why don't we throw a birthday party that kind of celebrates the one percent that do exist right so we started a hashtag which was read the one percent which kind of took off really well online and that was just people getting in touch with us and shouting out their favorite authors and illustrators that do exist and um, we filled a pop-up space in Brixton for five days and sold like over 500 books, got a piece in the Guardian, had some press come down and the local community just really, really supported us and also questioned us as to why we weren't there permanently. Um, so we'd been working in Brixton probably for like a year before that anyway, but this was the first time we did a pop-up and uh, we, we then were like, okay, after the five days took a well due rest because nobody in our team was a bookseller like we, we don't know the process of bookselling so it was a lot of making up as we go along we had the help of Tales on the Lane as well which is another independent bookshop and um, we kind of went away ran ran a few little you know surveys and questions with people as to being like oh if we did you know raise a crowdfunder to open a permanent shop would you support and um, got an overwhelming yes and so at the end of I want to say 2018 we did a week long two week long uh, pop-up this time and managed to raise nearly 50,000 pounds wow and opened the permanent Brixton shop round table books in June no, in May of last year so gosh wow yeah it wasn't something that was ever intended um, but you know when when the community that you work in asks you you know, we don't have anything, you know, we don't have anything like this. You know, Brixton is a, an area that is going through fierce and, you know, at times scary levels of gentrification. And we are proud to be the only children's bookshop in an area where, you know, has a young demographic. So for us, we're happy to serve them in that way. But it wasn't as planned out as it, as it looks. <laughs> no, that's good. You've made, it look, you've made yeah. it look like it was meant to be. And it was meant mm. to be, obviously. Yeah, it, it was. It yeah. does exist. Um, 
So why did you decide to go focus on children's books? I know you worked at Scholastic, um, but but you could have gone to do adult publishing, I suppose. Yeah, I, I dipped my toe in a little bit of adult in the beginning of my career and found it really rather boring. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? If I'm allowed to say that, I just... Obviously, you, know, you don't mean my books, obviously. Not yours at all, Dorothy. <laughs> I mean more of the institution of adult publishing. I didn't read the authors or their stories. Huh? Yeah, that'll get me off it, right? That, that's, I'll let you off the hook. No, I, you know, I just, I've always been a person that loves kids and loves working with children as well. So I went through a phase when I was younger thinking I'd be a paediatric doctor. My paternal grandmother is a... Um, midwife as well so I feel like I, I'm an only child so I feel kids I'm just always like big fan um and really enjoyed working when I did a few interns at kid publishers intern um just really enjoyed recreating that feeling that I got as a kid when you know I would just get into a book and just escape and I think that is the thing that I love the most about working kids books is recreating that feeling of like being sucked into a book and being taken away. So what are the differences between your working life then and now? Because I used to work in a lot of magazines and mm-hmm. publications um, and I work full time. And my life then, when I work full time for other people is very different now to working for myself. Yeah. I'm not always, not all of it's great. You know, I do have a lot more pressure and worries, but you know, so what is your, how's, diff, how's it different? I think that balance is something that I've probably struggled to find uh, within the first two, two years. And we're in our third year now as a publishing house. And I'm only probably now finding somewhat of a balance and being able to switch off. And, you know, we, in the beginning, it was just David and I, so just two of us. And now there are, you know, six of us. And so having other people who you know, care for and are as committed to the company as you are, um within your team puts me a lot more at ease to be able to say do you know what when I do go on holiday I'm putting an out office on and I am switching off the laptop the phone the notifications but I think yeah definitely in the beginning you know it was finding that balance of switching off and knowing what to say no to as well I think being one of very few black women in the kids publishing space um I was asked and called upon to do a lot of things and in the beginning was just like yes 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 do everything talk to everyone say the same thing over and over again answer the same questions um and kind of had to really learn I don't have to do everything for everybody you know especially when it's not mutually beneficial well exactly you've learned that quite early because I'm still just struggling with that but no I get it it's that it's a feeling of like the weight of responsibility like if I'm not speaking who else is speaking about it and you don't want to see somebody else being put in your place who maybe doesn't have that first-hand experience or whatever and it's like I should have done that that is that is a big thing to deal with yeah yeah so um but do you prefer it obviously oh yeah 100% you could not put me back into corporate publishing for love nor money (laughs) okay so I know you went um small publishers but particularly I know um, Knights of and Jacaranda Books particularly you went through a really difficult time when the pandemic hit and you had to shut down basically how did you deal with that because that must have been really difficult personally you know like we mentioned like right in the beginning of this conversation in that publishing structure of how you get paid is often six months in advance and you're not seeing immediate money on book sales and 
whilst you know we had an incredible end of last year an incredible beginning of this year and we're really looking forward to what was going to be a great summer the pandemic hit and everything just kind of turned upside down for us you know we had to follow the majority of our team follow ourselves um push books back you know have projects which we are still trying to find ways of making them work because of the nature of having to be physically somewhere and working with people um and who knows when that can happen so things got you know pushed back and we had two books actually come out and I had no idea how well they would do and I think for us it was just just as we were beginning to feel settled it was like this is something that you cannot prepare for like nobody 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 could you know secure or proof their business for a global pandemic because you d we just didn't know how it would affect us and so from the publishing side we kind of had to just stop everything that would um, incur costs for us you know and if it wasn't wages or rent um, it was okay how can we you know reduce print runs or how can we you know beg plead with our printers to give us a little more time uh, on the invoices that are due because when you haven't got you know and bookshops closed you know majority of bookshops closed and it's like we don't really support or want to push the works of Amazon um, well this is much. it a lot of a lot of people were pushed to Amazon because other bookshops didn't have a lot of bookshops didn't have the infrastructure the mechanisms to, yeah yeah to, so, yeah to send stuff out I mean that was really sad to see I, I our warehouse is closed as well and so exactly, it's just yeah. at every stop you're kind of really restricted in getting the thing that you make books to readers um so it was very tricky and that's how we kind of linked up with Valerie at Jacaranda and the team there because we had you know a really honest conversation and how were you guys doing and it was it was the same thing it was we're, we're not quite sure how we're going to get out of this and um decided to put the inclusive indies campaign and crowdfunder together to raise money not only for ourselves but other indies who we knew were also struggling and that's been it, it went really well in the end it did go really well i know it started off quite slowly didn't it it did it did it started off really really slowly and really really quietly and i think we were all a bit unsure as to whether or not it would take off and um you know that i think the political climate of the world went through a shift and a lot of people woke up to the realization that black lives matter and saw us and I'm still I, I still grapple with with that you know oh I do as, yes yeah saw us as like a place where okay I feel like I'm doing something so let me give money let me support let me buy books which ultimately is a good thing but I'm always curious about the intention behind it you know what do you feel as though you're absolving yourself from by committing or supporting us well, yes, and that's why, I mean, I ended up having to write that open letter. Which yeah, yeah. I have tried to move on from it. I don't like to talk about it too much because I don't want to be, people to kind of use that as, oh, we've kind of, we heard what she said and we're fine now. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was, um, but it was, it was really, it was really, really galling for me to see mm. the things that people were saying. And I was like, I know this wasn't what it was like. And, you know. And I know that other people have had to set up their own publishing companies exactly, or exactly. do things themselves exactly, because there exactly. has never been space there for them. So, exactly, exactly. Um, it was it was shocking and uh, yeah, shocking to see. So many it was really upsetting as well. I found it really, yeah. really difficult. 
to... so many heads of houses and heads of agents and agencies just saying you know you've always mattered and we've always cared and it's like uh, really? so what <laughs> are you talking to yourself you're talking to sure? in the mirror you know do you think other people could do what you did yes yes just definitely yes that's that's yeah yes. i encourage other people to do so do you know i kind i i think if you have an idea if you're frustrated if you're angry if you think you can do something better than the place that you're doing it definitely see if you can do it from within first and that is often the advice i give to the younger generation like if you can shake things up if you can turn the tables where you're at that impact will be incredibly huge especially if you're a big house right because you have the scope you have the money to play with you can woo authors illustrators make structural change but if not and if you feel as though there is no possible way for you to do that where you're at and you can financially safely securely step out on your own I encourage it you know I really encourage it that's the thing isn't it stepping out on your own because when Mm I um started writing books I was working full-time as well I couldn't afford I was on my own and I had to I was just financially responsible for every part of my life so I couldn't rely on another person's wages to sit down and write home and write books and that was good for me I think I it was yeah. I needed to to remember I think I say this all the time I need to remember that people work really hard for their money so when they apply yeah. my books they are spending their hard-earned money so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I never I never forget that when I'm writing yeah exactly when I'm working I never forget that people worked as hard as I make that choice yeah Yeah, sometimes yeah yeah um what do you think people could do to increase their chance of being published because I know your setup is um slightly different to other publishers because you have open submissions and you accept manuscripts from um people who aren't agented yeah 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 that's true um so the advice I would give to authors to make themselves look attractive um I always think the best authors are the best readers and I'm a big big advocate of not changing your authorial voice to suit trends to suit a market um or feel as though you have to quote unquote pimp yourself out as it were to you know do the dancing in the boardroom to kind of seem attractive to what you think they want you to be be who you are as an author stick to that you know absolutely I, that's I've always I've you know I, I, I've had these conversations with people mm. on the other side of the desk people not just mm. people who want to be authors but sort of like yeah oh maybe you should do that no, no, why, why no would I? that's not, yeah. It's not who I am, it's not what mm-hmm. I write. So, mm. yeah, I think that's very sage advice. <laughs> um, is there anything else you think people should know about the publishing process that they don't actually know? It's a long, it's a long road and it is always going to be, I don't want to say it's always going to be uncertain, but I think be prepared for uncertainty. You know, we, we, we can all put books out, publish books and think that they are the best thing and give them all of the marketing spend and give them all of the push and get all of the reviews and try and get them in the hands of readers that we think need to be reading them. But a lot of publishing, it's, it's just how we position ourselves. 
you know and I think the more books you have and the, the bigger you grow your readership and the bigger you find your people and your community the more likely you are to maintain a successful career <laughs> like yourself um but it's very uncertain you know and I think I always advise people authors not to just be like I've got a book coming out I'm gonna quit my job because that that would never work you know no never work ever I always think that people have this wrong idea about what publishing and being an author is and being a successful author is they always think it's just oh I'm gonna quit my job and it really very rarely it's a lot of hard work it's a lot of hard work it's a lot it's very taxing and I think if you are a black or brown author in the space you have an additional weight to carry as well unfortunately you know um Yeah. yeah Hopefully we'll get to a place where it isn't oh, an additional burden, but you know. That would be great. It's fantastic, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that isn't that the utopia we're all just waiting <laughs> for, right? Just to be able to talk about the companies we own and the books that we write just for their stories and their business structure. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Crazy. I, I, I really would love to yes, I would love that place. And that's why one of the things mm. I started was the interviews on my website, you know, the bookmark mm-hmm. interviews, yeah. because I just wanted to interview black authors mm-hmm. about their books and about silly things rather than having to get them to solve the diversity right, problem exactly or bear their soul or talk about their you know hard experiences or exactly yeah if you want to they can but that's for not sure, what it's set sure. up that should be the starting point yeah. exactly and hopefully yeah hopefully there will be change and I think mm. part of it is it's us changing as well what we do mm. are you hopeful for the I know I'm not the one asking the questions here but no, feel free to ask. Yeah, are you hopeful for the? I'm always hopeful. I'm, I'm okay. actually very. I'm a very cynical person, but I'm always very hopeful that things mm. can can change. And you know, I've had conversations with people who who are stopping the conversations that are actually trying to find ways to do things, and not just down the old "all oh, we'll put a scheme together" route, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. schemes and stuff and mentorship are all great, but it always seems that black people, brown people, working class people are the ones who who seem to need an additional layer of help, whereas um, everybody else can just everybody else they can just they can send in stuff that's seventy five percent done and it'll be considered, and that's that's one of my main problems with schemes. Mm, yeah, no, I, I think you. they're great. I, I think that they all, everything's necessary, but I don't. I really hope that black brown authors and working class authors and people who aren't traditionally seen in traditional publishing realize that they can just send something in that is not perfect yeah. and that yeah. they that they should have the like I said a level playing field where mm. an editor will pick it up and go oh do you know what it's not perfect but 90 percent there I can mm. work with this and that's what mm. they do with other people and that's mm. what so I could say I'm very cynical, <laughs> but I do love writing and I do love being an author. So that's why I've called my podcast The Happy Author, because I am happy in my job. So and I want and I hope that going forward, things do change. Mm. I, uh, yeah. I am hopeful. Yeah. So, yes, I am hopeful. Good. But I am Good. realistic. <laughs> yeah, so. Let me ask you the same question. So are you. Um, I, I would say I have reserved hope. You know, I think I remember talking to. Mallory Blackman very very early on in my career and her saying that she's seen this cycle happen 
you know and I, that kind of was always stuck in in my brain so I'm always a bit wary you know of like creating the noise creating the buzz finding the authors doing all of that uh article after article panel after panel after panel after panel and then for me I'm just concerned about or looking for longevity in this right like we don't want to be here for a minute or a hot flash in the pan as it were so I'm just always looking to the people who are saying they're doing the work and it's like okay well how is that sustainable and what are you doing to make sure it's not just for this year or next year but the years when you're no longer in the company or you know what are we putting in place structurally to make sure things change so I have reserved hope yes yeah. absolutely yes it, is, it has it's one of those things that comes round and comes round mm -hmm. and I'm hoping that's changing yeah I, yeah I am really hoping it's changing and I'm and I'm and also you know I'm doing my best to try and help that change as well mm -hmm. as I think other people are as well and yeah. we are putting things in place that we can help ourselves if it all if or when it does Mm. fall apart again we have got things that, we in have place things that, exactly. that we are doing that we can yeah. keep sustain because we mm. don't know like you said you, no one knew the pandemic was coming nobody had an idea <laughs> nobody <laughs> had an idea i know beginning of the year we were planning beginning of 2020 we were planning a tour i was like oh i'm gonna go around mm. the country yeah that didn't happen no one's going anywhere <laughs> no but uh, i know it's uh, it work you know have to Yes, we do. We do have to make it work mm. and to keep on. And, you know, one of the things I think is always great about what you have managed to do is that, you know, you've created this publishing company and a bookshop for people. Um, but not just for people so they can see themselves, but just so that the whole world can see that exactly. we are exactly. just as important and we just yeah. deserve to be the main character, which is why mm. I want to write books, because when I write books, I want to be the main character of a book. Exactly. A story. And, yeah. um, and for kids as well, I just feel as though, you know, you asked me earlier why I wanted to work in kids publishing. And I think for kids that the power of it, like I've seen it in the shop, I've seen kids come in, run over to a book, pick it up, mum, 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 look, 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 he's got the same haircut like me, mum. He's got to say, she's got the same braids like me, mum. And that moment where they, you know, see themselves reflected, I think is so, you know, it's, it's a, commonly used phrase you know the power of seeing yourself represented but I've seen it you know I've mm. actually had the experience of seeing children see themselves in books and pick it up and be like I don't care what the story's about I'm I'm buying in you know because I am there and I'm seen as worthwhile um yeah yeah and white children need to see that other children exactly are just as important as they are and that mm. they are on the same level and then mm -hmm. you know they can understand the empathy the and they mm. develop empathy from that i think mm. from seeing that they the world doesn't revolve just around them there are other people who are just as important that's why i always encourage people to to buy books from other people but also at a most basic level buy boys books where the girls are main characters it's definitely because you know just on the most basic level them, yeah an idea because girls are made to read books where the boys oh, yeah. are the main character all the time, all all the time. and they time. do perfectly well exactly um, you they're, know they're fine they grew up fine they grew up fine nothing nothing is wrong with them so no no yeah so that's one of the things that's why i think it's great about what night mm. does it's kind of you well and just fun stories as well we love fun stories absolutely yeah. absolutely fun stories all, all sorts of stories jokes. yeah all stories, we could write a spectrum of stories mm. and tell us the spectrum of stories. 
Mm. Yes. People who are readers who are, who are listening to this, what mm. can they do to help the publishing world to, or Knights of, Roundtable, yeah. just in general? Um, buy, buy books, I think is the, the first and the biggest, but I think it's, it's deeper than just like me saying buy books to help my bottom line. It's buy books because you show the market that these books are needed and wanted and that you're hungry for them as an audience. I think the more we buy, the more we support authors, publishing houses, especially indie publishing houses, the more we show the wider market actually. And you've got to remember it's a business for a lot of people. For a lot of people, there isn't this moral pull. And so for them, we kind of have to show them, put our money where our mouth is and buy the book, support the authors, and then they'll be like, ah, okay, yeah, let me shift my focus here, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah, so that's important, just the people buying books. This is what I I have said in previous episodes of this podcast. You need to buy books <laughs> and mm. support the industry that you want to be a part of. That's yeah. it. And that's yeah. It. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Amy. It's been lovely talking to you. Oh, thank you, Dorothy. I could talk to you all day. Thanks for joining me, Dorothy Coombson, today on the Happy Author Podcast. I hope my chat with Amy Fallone, co-founder of Knights of Publishers, has inspired you in every way to support inclusive, independent publishers. Keep writing, keep reading, keep happy. Talk to you soon. Bye.